You're listening to Underestimated. Real stories from real women. Discussing how they've overcome everyday hurdles and rose above. We will not be underestimated. Today, I'm excited to have someone very special come on my show who was referred to me by my cousin, Captain John Turnbull. Staff Sergeant Lily Wilker is a real-life Wonder Woman who has developed a very impressive career in the Army. To say big things comes in little packages would be an understatement with Lily Wilker, which you will hear from a special guest later in the episode. Before I dive into our interview with Staff Sergeant Wilker, I'd like to read you a very touching note my cousin wrote on her behalf in his recommendation. So, here it is. The military is known for its poor treatment of women in uniform. We are an organization that values hard-charging, barrel-chested, red, white, and blue-blooded, freedom-fighting alpha males. Staff Sergeant Lily Wilker is one of the most important individuals I have recruited for my special operations team. I met Lily in 2014 at a qualification course. Prior to this moment, I was an underappreciating, sexist individual that didn't think there was a place for women in the military. The sentiment came from my career as a tanker, where women were not allowed in our units. I thought that women would undermine an operation, especially during combat operations. We had a young lady at my combat outpost in 2012 in Afghanistan and saw how soldiers treat women firsthand. For example, when we were attacked by the Taliban, all of my guard posts were not manned because my guys went to the women's building and tried to protect, air quotes, her. What I didn't see was that I was completely wrong about women in combat and that the fault was my own because I didn't have as tight of a grip on my soldiers as I thought and that their professional discipline was lacking. When I was selected to be a member of special operations, I learned this. Lily Wilker showed me that a woman that is under five feet and weighs less than 100 pounds could carry a heavier backpack with all of our units, ammunition, communication equipment, and food further and longer than myself. I felt like a fool having this little girl outperform me physically, but then saw her outperform me mentally and emotionally as we were partners through training. By the end of our training, I learned a valuable life lesson that I will never judge a person based on their stereotype, but look at the individual. I joined the special operations team immediately after graduating the qualification course and deployed to Jordan for my first go around with ISIS. When I got back, it had been a year since I last spoke with Lily, but knew she was a person that I wanted on my team. I fought tooth and nail upon returning to Fort Bragg to get Lily on my team. And in 2015, she became my medic. I got to train with her on the team for a year before we all deployed to Lebanon. After leaving the special operations team, I would never deploy again without a woman on my team because Lily taught me that she brings a capability to the team that empowers us to reach greater impacts on the community. When I deployed to Syria, I'm the greatest fighting force in the world. And my life lesson from Lily had me again fight to get the additional capability on my team and led to me having two ladies on my team. Because of the lessons from Lily, I was overwhelmingly successful in Syria to the point that we led the fight that ended with the U.S. winning the war against ISIS. Lesson learned. Women in combat are not a hindrance, but an added capability. Never assume a woman cannot perform until I have tested them. From my experience with Staff Sergeant Wilker, I learned that a tiny girl was capable of outperforming the toughest man, me, physically and mentally. She increased the capability of my special operations team to levels I couldn't have reached without her. 
you're awesome, stay awesome, and always remember, alone and unafraid, you've got this. Love you, Lily. So it's so exciting to have Staff Sergeant Lily Wilker on. Lily, thank you for coming on. I'm so excited to hear all about you. Tell us a little bit about what made you decide to go into the military and how did you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Okay. Um, oh, first off, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, how I got into the Army. Uh, so I went to college right out of high school. Back in high school, I thought I was going to join the Air Force, and then I went to college because I guess that was the thing to do. And then after I graduated from college, I was like, all right, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I ended up joining the Army because it just seemed like the right thing to do at the time. When I first joined, I was in MP or military police. I don't know. People, we have a lot of acronyms, so I'll try to explain them as we go. I'm explaining about military to an audience that is not military is really hard which is weird because in civil affairs we deal with a lot of civilians so you think I'd be better at that but I guess it's time and place so it's foreign military that we're dealing with right well it's funny because a lot of my family is or was in the military but Mm -hmm. my immediate like household none of us were so I don't know any of it (laughs) yeah I'm I'm the only one well I have a cousin in the air force me and then our my grand both my grandparents were one was Navy, one was uh, Army Air Force. It was before the Air Force was a thing, but yeah, I'm the only one, really. So what made you decide to join, well, just overall, because you said you wanted to do the Air Force first, but then go into the Army, but in high school, when you're like, yeah, I'm going to go do this, what was it that drew you to it? Um, I think, so I remember growing up, I've always been interested in uh, science and space and when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. That was thing. Like, you know, everyone has like those crazy, like, I think a lot of it is like, you hear those kids are like, oh, I just want to be a marine biologist. I feel like I heard that a lot growing up. And, and like my big, big one was, oh, I'm going to be an astronaut. And then I found out that a lot of the astronauts go to the um, Air Force Academy. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll join the Air Force, whatever. And then that kind of went aside, went to college, did my college thing. Um, I think... God, I don't even know, looking back, if you tell me, like, why'd you go to college? I'm like, oh, no, I just, that was what everyone did. It was on the checklist. Where did you grow up? What part of the, what state did you grow up in? Because I wonder if that has something to do with marine biology. No, I'm from uh, Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. Like, Landlocked, and you have people say they want to be a marine no. I, I don't know why I always heard that. I mean, half of Ohio lives in Florida, so maybe that's why. I mean, both of my parents, or both my grandparents had uh, summer homes down there. I, I think a good good portion of Florida is Ohioans. Um, so wanted to join NASA, which is really cool. I thought about that at one point, too. I think that was, plus all the cool movies that are coming out nowadays about. Oh, yeah. We'll come, for, we'll come for a full circle with that, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what transitioned you from the Air Force to the Army? Um, I really think it was just part of growing up. So like when I was a kid, I was like, oh, join NASA. And then I realized that you had to be really good at math to go like the Air Force Academy. And that was just not my thing. I wasn't a great student in high school or college, really. I mean, I did it, path or whatever, but like it kind of, and wasn't, I was above the D for diploma level, but you know, still <laughs> just, just kind of did. But I think like growing up and actually kind of realizing what I really cared about, I just, I went and 
the arm. I, I don't know what I, I don't know if I could really like say what, cause I didn't even talk to any other recruiters. I just went into the army recruiter and was like, cool, this will be it. guess we'll do this now. I, mean, I don't know. A little impulsive maybe, but. Must've been the right, right job for you then. Like if I'm still the, here. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't have any objections, then it's the right path for you. So Lily was uh, like a large impact on my understanding and kind of the way I went in the military. Before I knew Lily, it was very just kind of opinionated um, as a cavalryman, an armor officer. I was in charge of 30 guys. At the time, there was infantry, armor, and artillery. So three branches of the army that were only for men. But artillery was the first one. I allowed women into it. Um, I had a few female friends that went into, uh, became leaders there and started opening it up, but spent time in that rolled around to 2012, 2013 to Northern Afghanistan with my platoon, the 30 guys I was with. And is deployment is very much like a brotherhood. Um, I mean, you have to rely, you rely very heavily on each other for everything. We had, from what I recall, no women like on our combat outpost. And so, I mean, overall, you had about 60 guys all living together and no women. We ended up getting um, some liaison officers, we call them LNOs, from the, I believe it was the Belgium Army. And one of them was a young lady, uh, so Belgian Army officer, female. And we saw very quickly a kind of breakdown in camaraderie with our own guys since there was a lot of infighting all based on, well, she likes me more than you. And, you know, just trying to vie for power, boys being boys in a land where there aren't very many uh, pretty ladies, at least. Um, So like very early on, I mean, we would take uh, incoming rounds. So like mortars, the Taliban would shoot mortars at us or whatever, um, attack us. And everybody was assigned, you know, you go to this guard post, you go to that guard post and you have lined up people getting trucks ready, people like defending different parts of the wall. This fun isn't well rehearsed and based on discipline. I mean, it was very quick. So something happened, our guys would be on the walls and they'd be ready to go. But with this young lady there that broke down very quick. So like our discipline broke down, our guys would not be in their guard post and we'd find them like guarding her chew. We call it like their, her living residence. So it was a little frustrating. We tried to, reinstill a lot of discipline through physical labor. So we'd have uh, a lot of physical training. My platoon sergeant was incredible with it. I mean, imagine just grueling, you know, with a, you know, 30 to 50 pound rock on your back or hundred pounds walking through a desert until you realized, you know, the error of your ways or just push-ups. I mean, we do, we had a concrete pad. We just start doing push-ups and you'd be like, all right, we're gonna do push-ups until everybody, you know, starts acting right. So I do want to talk a little bit about John's email because <laughs> he mentions like how he had this belief that women didn't belong in the military, um, that they were a hindrance mm-hmm. and that you basically kicked his butt in training <laughs> <laughs> and then brought, he brought you on on a tour and then it, he was like, no, I have to have women every time on my team. So in the qualification course, what was that like? Um, so 
qualification course, there's a lot of a lot of physical stuff, but then also a lot of um, we have language was a big part of it, a really big part of it actually. It's like six months of language, and then wow, learn like country studies, how to do our job, and then lots of like at the very end, there's a culminating exercise where you kind of go into a pretend town and you have to or village and fix it. <laughs> Not really fix it, but kind of figure out everything that's going on. That sounds um, pretty intense. Yeah, it wasn't. So like it a lot for a lot of people um, going through the assessment and selection, and then the qualification course. They'll say that is absolutely the hardest thing they've ever done in their life. I honestly can't look back and say, I had more fun than anything. I had a lot of fun. Um, I mean, John and I went through there the whole time. We ended up on the same team and that helped him and uh, some of the other people were around that still, still very good friends with. We just had a good time. And I mean, when you're surrounded by people having a good time, we're all suffering together. So yeah. It's <laughs> like it a, what is that thing? Like if you're in any type of leadership position um, or, you know, as a teacher or a coach, you give, you give the team one common enemy and that's all you need. Right. Yep. <laughs> and somehow I partnered with Lily for, well, I partnered, she was my partner for, um, for more than not. And I remember events that were very uncomfortable. Um, for example, uh, going in and meeting people, you know, these people that were act, really amazing actors portraying horrific uh, situations. They, talking about being underestimated, every single person underestimated her 110%. I mean, little tiny geeky glasses, pigtail, blonde girl. And she she pulled off like acting ditzy very well. And as I got to know her, I learned that that was, you know, a fake facade that she had. She loved it. Uh, she, she acted all up and people would underestimate the crap out of her. And then she would just, be like, bam, like, whoa, what just happened? Like, she's like this super competent, uh, amazing individual that get you off your guard and, you know, you start spilling the beans per se. And I was always really impressed. So were there a lot of other girls in that training course? And I mean, was it a lot of guys? I don't know. What was that? What was um, that like? I would say there's, it's a pretty good mix as mm-hmm. far as look at the overall army population and then look at, civil affairs itself it's a pretty good mix we do have more males but that's just how the army population goes um, yeah. and so the assessment selection i did was a little different um it's well it's the same one but mine was actually all females because i went to it's called the cultural support teams and this was when i was still an mp i went to that because it was like this year-long thing you go you try out you go to like a month training course and then once you graduate it's to support uh, special operations and specific um, specific areas where women and men aren't culturally culturally can't even speak <laughs> aren't culturally allowed to um, interact. So having U.S. personnel interact with the females over there would not be um, oh. I don't know for lack of a better word kosher. But yeah, um, yeah it's it wouldn't be right. So they have females that are specially trained to interact with the female population kind of was a long way of going about saying that. Right. So I went and did that. And then I ended up not deploying 
for that, but it's the same. They they let the peop- the women who go there um, go to civil affairs if they meet certain criteria. So I was all I was going to go back to be an MP, but they had this opportunity, so I did that, and that also leads to doing the the combat medic course for special operations. So I went that route and then met John that way. So he had most of the people went there went through a mixed assessment and selection. So it was males and females. Mine was only females. And then because they needed needed females for that specific specific requirement. (laughs) Sorry. There was that specific requirement, but if you met that requirement, civil affairs let you in. Ah, got it. Cool. Yeah. Sorry for some of these questions, because I I honestly am just completely clueless whenever it comes to the army and well, military in general. Like what I know is what I see on movies and TV shows. (laughs) (laughs) So some of my questions are probably somewhat a little basic or whatnot, but it's, I'm truly just... I know, yeah, when when explaining again, yeah, explaining military things to civilians. I'm sure. So can you think of a time um, where you've ever felt like you were underestimated? And this doesn't, I mean, I ask this question a lot. um, I mean, the podcast is called Underestimated, obviously. Uh, But it's really, this was born from, in my own life, working in a place and having a colleague do like a side comment that really rubbed me the wrong way. And uh, it it just implied that I didn't have the capabilities that I I did have. And so then I decided to do this podcast. Um, And out of this podcast, I will be creating and I've already started creating a children's book series to encourage little girls to just constantly keep striving for betterment and working through stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I guess I've always kind of approached my time in the army by, I think, just accepting that I always had something to prove. And I'd say that there are a lot of people that make it really hard to be a female in the army, other females included. Um, it's just the way it is. And I remember my first platoon sergeant telling me, um, this is like week one out of like basic training and training everything going right into the army that I was like, there's three types of women in the army. And he wasn't approaching it as like, um, I think this was out of the the goodness of his heart, like trying to pull me aside and give me like, Hey, there's not a lot of females here. Um, he's like, you're either going to, you're either a bitch, a slut or a lesbian. And I was just kind of like, all right. I mean, why can't I just be me, but all right, whatever. And I just, I just wanted to be a soldier and do my job. So I, just kind of gave him the Roger Sergeant kind of answer and uh, decided I'll just, I'm just going to do me. And um, so I understand that this is probably a pretty exclusive, well, not exclusive, but this is a very military kind of uh, experience, but I'm sure people can understand in other, other aspects, but I mean, this is just kind of how it was. Um, And I, I've been in just over 10 years and the army has changed a lot. I mean, the army changes with society and, you know, we feel everything. It's not just this really rigid thing that doesn't change. Um, but, and I've seen it change for the better. And, and I mean, I'm saying this, like, I don't really understand what it's like to be in the, a female in the civilian workforce. I mean, I've worked being a medic, like we do rotations in civilian hospitals. And every time I go there, I just 
not, not really like a fish out of water, but it is, it's so different. And I'm like, wow, this is what real people are like. <laughs> I don't know if Sean's ever mentioned that, but yeah, it's, it's a different world. That is funny. Um, it's, I would say it's probably a little bit of the same, but different. I don't know. Like, uh, <laughs> I think the idea that when you join any company or, you know, when you joined the army, there was mm-hmm. these preconceived notions of who you are, which one are you like? Uh, so I think that happens in just about any industry at some level and some are better than others, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, that would have, if I was in your shoes, I can see myself being a really hot headed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know how you don't get angry. And you're like, well, you just don't, it's the army is a different culture. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing when a lot of people will approach be like, Oh, wow. Aren't you angry about that? Are you angry about that? And like, well, like it's hard for me to understand the civilian world. It's you probably even harder, especially being in the military, like being out, like what you think about the army. And then when you're in the army, you're like, okay, wow, it's, it's different, but there's a reason why it's different. doesn't make it right, but there's a lot. It, yeah. It's a culture that has, yeah developed and like I said it it does change with the times it takes a lot longer sometimes because rules and regulations and there's there's a regulation for everything so it is it's slow moving and it's hard to change a culture because there's a lot of reason why the culture exists um especially as far as I know John was talking about why he didn't um think women should be in the infantry and there I mean it's still I still have mixed feelings about that and I mean, I, I could go on a whole long tangent about that and why, why it's like kind of a, it's not a yes or no answer for me, but and it, a lot of it does have to do with culture and the nature of the job, especially the infantry and the combat, combat arms. And um, there's definitely absolutely a place for women in the army that goes without saying and women in combat, but there's, also, it has to do with how we how we fight wars, and that that has changed too drastically from two thousand one to like two thousand nine era. It's it's different because I mean I I first deployed in two thousand oh my gosh uh, two thousand eleven, <laughs> and it's different now. So it's <laughs> so um, for everyone for I guess civilians <laughs> who doesn't know anything about the military. What is that? How is it different? How is it different for females than, or, well, you know, for, I guess it's changing for every um, soldier, but. Yeah. So, f- cause some of the things like the army isn't built for, uh, isn't necessarily built for females. I mean, there's things that have done better. Um, I would say the MPs, military police have had women integrated and integrated in, uh, it's not necessarily combat, it's combat support but in a near combat role for years, like years and years have been um, integrated. And I remember that was the other thing, same platoon sergeant is actually a great leader, but he, he said that um, he's like, I don't care if you're male or female, you're just, you're a soldier and do your job. And that's how the MPs treated it. You do his job. However, um, as a female MP, they wanted to have, a, they tried to have a female on, like when we were doing the patrols, like um, I guess they can, I have, to, I have to go back and explain army things, but um, uh, some military police, we have different, we had different roles or have, I guess I had, um, 
they'd work the road just like a regular police and they'd work the road work the gates and then we had also our combat role as well and working the road they'd like to have a female on so we could if we had like a female suspect or whatever that we had to like well a lot of times it was we had to search them and they wanted a female too you don't have to but they like to like to do that and it, it often helped but so that's why but it wasn't hey we're singling out because you're female we it was using we female for, as an asset yes and that's and that's the same with the the cst program that's how they used females as an asset asset so i get a lot of people are like oh we can do the exact same thing better and um it's just understanding that you have a role and there's different roles for females yeah. that's a lot of thing that people don't understand they just see the and i like i had female soldiers and i think first thing i would tell them because you, you, i would i would counsel them differently and we get the soldiers in and i would say hey um i expect more from you because the expectations around us for us are lower from a lot of people and unfortunately i said that sometimes females make it harder we make it harder for ourselves is there had been they had experiences with some females in the past that just didn't um, meet their expectations. So that's where their expectations were set. So I told my soldiers that, hey, I may have higher expectations than you think is fair, but it's not fair. And if you don't set yourself to those higher standards, then and you just meet the standards that people expect. You're just uh, a little confirmation bias, mm-hmm. giving people what they want. And, and you can either skate by just being, just meeting the standards, or you can make more of yourself. You can do do your job well. If you do your job well and you're respectful, then people will respect you. So, And I think you're really right also when talking about the terms of culturally as well, because women haven't been allowed to be in the military for, (laughs) in the scheme (laughs) of things, they were just, (laughs) in America anyways, just. Yeah, what was it, the the WAC in World War II? Uh, But there wasn't necessarily in the Army, that was the the Women's uh, Army Corps. Yeah, but they they had a lot of nursing positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, besides like nurse, like actually in army. Right. Role. Yeah, and so you, oh, I can one. imagine like the just the timeline of one progressing because, I mean, the the thing is, is the gingers are different. So like the gingers, beyond like just also have different needs. So progressing your strategy, I'm sure, mm-hmm. probably takes time to incorporate those yeah. both genders. As well and, as, you know, the culture and the way that, like, they address each other and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, there's there's physical things, and then there is the culture change. And I'm, after being in the Army for over 10 years, I've said, like, culture is, you're not going to change people, but you can do your best to change their perception. You can't really change, and that's how culture change goes. You're not just going to tell somebody to be different without taking action on that if that makes sense so if someone expects this level a certain level and then you meet that level then you've met their expectations but if you exceed that and you show them how that you can't just say hey i can i can do this like i mean if somebody comes up to me like hey i can do that I'd be like cool that's great show me like do it right <laughs> and yeah there's a lot of works but like and then the physical part is they just started making women specific body armor after my first deployment, so this would have been 2012 or 13, they actually took some of the female soldiers in my company and had them try on prototypes. And 
uh, let's see. So like in 2011, when I deployed the smallest size body armor ha they had was small. And we, they used to make fun of me because whenever I sat down, I was like a turtle. Like it came up to my nose. I could just like hide my face in the body armor. It was so big. And like looking back, I'm like, how did I go a year wearing that every day? But, and it was, I mean, that's what I had and I didn't know anything different. So, you know, you just, you just do it. And then they came up with, um, for the last deployment, well, one, I didn't take a body armor for the, the one, but then when the, the next one came out, they had extra small body armor and I'm like, this is amazing. Like, this is great. And then, um, I actually tried on, they had women's specific body armor, but I mean, I'm not your typical size women, especially not typical female in the, the military. So they took all these surveys from females and like tried them on all these prototypes and found a body armor that fits the woman figure better than the regular body armor. Oh, cool. And, I mean, for me, the extra small fits me fine. Mm -hmm. And like, this is, this is great compared to what I used to have. But so they're, they're doing things like that. They're making improvements um, because there's more females that are requiring it. And I mean, that's great. Uh, I mean, for me, I would rather have the, the guys extra small than the, the women, but you know, it's, we're getting there. I mean, that's, I, I shop at like baby gap, so it's cool. <laughs> I don't expect them to make things that fit me perfectly, but I mean, there's a, there's a book written about females and the musculoskeletal um, injuries that I'm a big nerd, but yeah, there's a book written by a, I think it's a colonel. Uh, but she wrote this whole book about the injuries that women specifically have due to things that are too big and too much weight. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. That's one, yeah, that's one of the things is we're different, males and females. We're physically different. It happens, you know. That's yep. kind of life. And, yeah, keeping up with the, the guys does have its downfalls. And, I mean, after 10 years in the Army, I know that. <laughs> I couldn't do this forever. <laughs> yeah. So what – is there a challenge you can think of that you're very proud of overcoming? I think like the biggest, I don't know how much challenge, but like setback that I had was after going to the, the CST, um, the cultural support team, after going to the cultural support team um, training. And then at the very end, they hand out the deployments and I was standby for one the whole opportunity. And up to that point, I had been pretty much achieved everything, overachieved everything in military career. I mean, what, I was only like three, four years going on four years in the army. So that's pretty fresh. That's like a, an enlistment. But I got this in the bag. I'm going on the deployment and they're like, you can come back and deploy next time. They're like, we just didn't have all the slots we wanted or something. I don't know what happened on that side, but basically I didn't get, the deployment that I expected and they told me like, Oh, you're, you're standby. If anything happens, you're going. And then if you don't, please come back. Um, you'll just go back to the next one. Anyway. So yeah, after I, um, had gone there cause I was at Leonard Wood. So I came over to Bragg, did the whole assessment and selection, did the course. Um, had a, had a lot of fun doing it. Met a lot of really great women. Um, and then when I was like, oh, you're not going on the deployment? It's like, man, because it, it was just like you would go there, go to the deployment, and then you go back to your unit. And then that threw a whole wrench in things because if I stayed as an MP, um, one of the things is once you become an E5, if you want to become an E6 as an MP, you almost have to go to either recruiting 
or drill sergeant school. At that time, I was like, I do not want to be a drill sergeant or a recruiter. And I was like, okay, this this kind of sucks. And then they're like, well, you can go to civil affairs. And then um, I'd also found out about the the SOCOM program, the Special Operations Combat Medic, from where I was in my career. If I went to civil affairs, I'd go to that. So I was like, wow, that's cool. Because that's something I considered when I was first joining. I was like, oh, MP or medic. And then whatever army recruiter lying to you thing said, oh, you can only be MP. There's no medic slots, which was probably a lie. But I ended up as, as a MP, which, I mean, I don't regret being an MP at all. Um, I had fun. I enjoyed it. I think that initial, like, I thought I had that thing in the bag. And then they're like, oh, you can come back. I was like, oh, man. And I was so- fully planning on it. But then I just made that. I was like, you know what? I'll go change my MS and uh, move out to Fort Bragg and go from there. So basically you overachieved on all of the requirements where you top in, <laughs> do they like rank you in the class? Like um, the coursework? Are you guys ranked in any way? Yes, but not really for us to see. Oh, okay. No, even when the, I know all the other girls were like, wow, I thought you, like for them. Did the other girls get assignments? Not all of them, no. We had, we started with a class of like 150 at assessment and selection. I think around 50 got selected, 30-ish, and this is all like ishes. Yeah. 30-ish passed and got, it's like you had an identifier under your job. And then it was like, I think less, 20 or 20-ish deployed. I don't know. I mean, looking back, I'm like, wow, really was not the end of the world. And I'm actually not upset that I missed that deployment really. Um, because I was like, you know what, I'll just, if I was anywhere else in my career, maybe I wouldn't have gone to, to civil affairs. I mean, I almost had a guaranteed promotion. I was an E5 at the time. I was going to be a staff sergeant, like guaranteed. And then, I mean, going the route I did, I didn't get deployed for, or deployed. I didn't get promoted. It was almost two years past what I would have. And I wasn't really a huge thing. I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, there's money, but if I was in it for the money, I probably wouldn't <laughs> join the army. Um, I think a lot of times we find looking back that like what we counted as failures at the time end up being one of the divides in our paths that leads us to a a better path that we enjoy more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would, yeah, I, mean, I would say if you asked me when I was like 23, like, what are you afraid of? You're like, oh, failure. I'm so scared of failure. But that's because I hadn't really, like, really, like, failed at anything. And once you fail at something or once you don't achieve what you think you're going to achieve, and then you realize that, well, okay, that wasn't the end of the world, you know, like, and what yeah. you do, you realize you learn from that and you can move on. So it's it's not like I don't really encourage people to fail. Like don't fail on purpose, but um, <laughs> but it's okay if it happens. <laughs> yeah, don't be a, don't be afraid to make that jump where you think like, oh my, I might do this and I might fail. And you're like, well, good, do it. Yeah. So I like I I actually just bought this children's book. You know, a little bit of research, <laughs> but it's uh it's based on um, Elon Musk and rockets, him building rockets. And oh, yeah. in it, I mean, it's got really great like life lessons to teach kids. It and sounds like a kid's book I need. <laughs> I like it a lot. But um, 
there's a part where it talks about like he built his first rocket and it exploded <laughs> and then he built a second rocket and it exploded and he built a third rocket and it exploded but then finally his fourth rocket worked they learned every something every time and i think that's you know failure is a part of life and like you said it's something that if you see it as an opportunity to learn and better yourself that very frequently um that helps you progress to even higher achievements sergeant wilker came in one day and we're like hey we want to see how good you are I'm like can you do an iv and iv is like the most rudimentary easiest thing for her i suppose because she was just kind of like yeah like I'll teach you how to do your own IV. And we're like, oh, so you think you do better? She's like, I could do an IV blindfolded and in a vehicle, moving vehicle. Oh, well, that's impressive. Put your money where your mouth is. And what I remember is being in the back of our team sergeant, his name Trey, um, back of his F-150, driving down a two-track, we call them tank trails because they're trails that literally only tanks will use. So drive around, bounce in the back of this thing, Lily's blindfolded, you know, preparing an IV kit, uh, needle attached to the tube, attached to the saline bag, all this cool stuff. So boss in the back, you know, she feels round. And it's, so the whole IV stick has to be by feel because she can't see. Being blind, I understand that now. Um, what does she do? But she sticks the needle in. It's good. Inserts the catheter, pulls the needle out, the sharp part. And I, as quick as that, had an, had an IV hooked up to me. She taped it around and, you know, take off the blindfold, pause the car. Let's see how this looked. And if I remember correctly, blood was all over the place because, I mean, you don't know, like, for whatever reason, either didn't apply pressure or whatever. Just you bleed a lot when, with IVs, whatever. Long story short, I had an IV. She gave me an IV blindfolded in a moving vehicle. And not just, I mean, you imagine two track bouncing all over the place, you know, hitting. She was able to do that. and. So she took something simple. We wanted to do something simple, like, okay, do an IV, which everybody on the team knows how to do IVs. We train it just in case she goes down or she's hurt and we have to, her, I mean, I I know how to do an IV. Her confidence in her training was, yes, I can do that. Her confidence was also, I can teach you guys to do that. And she did. And we practiced a lot. I'll tell you what, the best cure for a hangover is, you know, a bag of IV fluid. Um, So competence, confidence, we were able to see those two things. And um, just, it also built a lot of rapport with us. I mean, we didn't doubt that she was a good medic. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of doubts out there, but she was able to, you know, beat back that um, stereotype, that myth, if there was one, the um, being underestimated in her capabilities by not just you know, flapping your gums and, hey, I'm awesome. I'll tell you I'm awesome because I'm awesome. But she's like, let me show you. And it wasn't just let me show you something easy, uh, like something everybody can do. I'm going to take something that and we're going to take it up a couple of notches. I already mentioned I'm a big nerd. I'm big, uh big medi- medicine nerd. I go on like Google adventures on the internet and on just it. I'm in college again and I just end up I'm like, wow, that didn't even answer my school question. And I'm just on this 
big old Google adventure on medicine, but I was reading, I couldn't even tell you the book, but if you read a little bit about the history of medicine, like we wouldn't know, it's kind of unfortunate, it's kind of grisly, but we wouldn't know a whole lot of stuff if a lot of people didn't die. And there was a lot of failures involved in why we know a lot of things about medicine that we do. And it's kind of dark, but it's also like, well, I guess you just thank those people for their sacrifices and well, it was very that we know contra- more. It was controversial, like when they first, I don't know when, I don't know the history of it. I just know that, um, like, I don't know the actual year or date or whatnot, but when they first started opening people up, it was very controversial. Yeah, they used to, I mean, grave robbing was a business because mm-hmm. uh, they couldn't, they couldn't study cadavers unless it was, um, unless they were like criminals. So oh. if, they, if they were criminals, they did that. And then they outlawed that because they thought that a lot of these researchers were doing ridiculous things. And I mean, some, I mean, for the times, yeah, a lot of it was ridiculous, but we look back at it now and you're like, no, that guy was uh, actually onto something. But yeah. you think about well, those weirdos that figure things out. I mean, you could say Elon Musk, Musk is kind of a weirdo, but he is, uh, he's, he's doing, he's doing things. <laughs> yeah. I think people that, um, have the bravery to step outside of cultural norms and think differently are usually the people that we see in our history books. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Winston Churchill was a wacko. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So with not being accepted for, or not getting a position on deployment, um, what were some of the things that you started to do to get you through that, that challenge and what you saw was a failure at that time? I mean, when I first saw it, I mean, I was pretty upset. It took me a while to think about it. And then, um, cause I was like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. I'm going to do this and I'm going to go on a deployment. That's what I want. Um, and then I thought about it more and I was like, well, I can, cause I, I think because I, I didn't dislike being an MP at all. Um, I enjoyed it. I still, if I had to do it again, I, I don't think I'd change much. And MP stands for what exactly? Oh, military police. Okay, that's right. You said that like five times, but I, for some reason, you were talking about medical and then I started thinking medical and I was like, wait, no. Yeah, I'm sure. Military police. Yeah. So, yeah, I enjoyed being military police, but at the same time, I can't say I really had any aspirations to like be a civilian police or be like, a lifer in the army and be an MP for the rest of my life. And uh, I think I just was like, you know what? I, I enjoy my job here. I enjoyed because I was a newly, newly, a new squad leader. So I had uh, 12 soldiers underneath me, a couple NCOs. Um, it's still one of my favorite jobs in the army was being a squad leader. Um, I loved it. And I just was like, all right, I, I got to do something else. And now is the time. So I'm going to go, do more, you know, I felt like I could, I could do more. And then I was like, I'll, I'll try the medic thing out. Honestly, like I, yeah, sometimes I miss the, the regular army. It's, it's a lot different than special operations, but I don't regret it at all. Um, and that's one of the biggest things is if I didn't go and then having to regret it, I think that's worse than doing something and then failing. So I, I went and I was like, whatever, we'll go, let's do the thing. We'll do airborne school. We'll go to 
the qualification course and then I'll try the medic thing out. And I'd say the, the medical course was really hard. Um, that was a huge hurdle. But then after that, got on a team, did a couple deployments and then here I am. <laughs> So you're just a woman of action. You're just like, all right, well, this is upsetting. What now? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, that sucked, but here we go. And then, yeah, stepping out of that comfort zone and leaving behind what would have been a guaranteed promotion. I would have had a squad, all sorts of training. I would have taken them to the work in the road and all that. But yeah, so then I ended up meeting I guess the people now that are I'm probably closest to I was thinking about that I'm like well if I if I had ended up going on that deployment that one that I wanted I I don't know what I would have done I might have gone to civil affairs anyway but it wouldn't have probably wouldn't have met the same people I'd probably know yeah I would have known of them it's such a small community but I definitely I wouldn't have met John and I wouldn't have met yeah most of the people that I'm really close to now probably wouldn't be where I am Um, so if you wanted to relay a lesson that you've learned in your lifetime to either a younger version of yourself, or I don't know if you have any like nieces or nephews or anything like that, or any kiddos, what would that, um, lesson be? I'd say lesson to kids is I would say, don't be afraid of those big decisions. Don't be afraid to make anything big, anything that I now that I can consider it's very valuable. It was one of those big decisions. So yeah, everything I've done that is valuable to me was a really big decision from joining the army, which was definitely one of those like, screw it, I'm going to join the army, let's do this thing. And then trying out for special operations, going to the medical course. And then now that I'm like, all right, I know what I want to, I know I want to have medicine as part of my life and I'm going to go to medical school all of those decisions have been a big decision. And they're, I mean, even like I, when I decided that like medicine was going to be my thing, I was like, you know what, I'll just be a nurse. And I, full disclosure, I'm not like nothing wrong with nurses. Absolutely nothing wrong. They run the hospitals. I worked with them. I love them. But the reason that I chose that I want to go to medical school was that initially, like, I was like, oh, I can't (laughs) emphasize enough that nurses are awesome, but it was because I was like, I'm not smart enough to be a doctor. I'll never be a doctor. That's an insane goal. And I think making that decision that, yes, I'm just going to go and go to medical school. And if I fail, then okay, there's still a lot more in medicine that I can do. And, but what I can't live with, like thinking, I can't live without is thinking that maybe I could have done it. And then sitting there somewhere and like, just knowing that I never even tried. You were looking for the greater challenge and yeah. Yeah. And like make a scary decision because you'll probably surprise yourself. Yeah. Beyond just making the those big decisions, if I could tell kids, anybody, anyone that uh, would look up to me, I would say that more than anything, don't stop learning. Um, whether it's learning from your mistakes or learning something new, learning from anyone um, and be humble. Uh, I think humility is one of the best characteristics anyone can have. And I, I had good NCO once told me that they're like, hey, don't dismiss an idea just because it came from a private you may have been in the army for 15 20 years and think you know everything but then some private comes in and it because everyone thinks relates privates with like oh he's you know he's just like some 17 18 year old off the street and we're like well some of these 17 or 18 year olds have had a whole life before then 
and they may know how to do something better than that sergeant major who's been in the army for 26 years. Um, just a little humility can get you a long way. I think that's common in the civilian world as well is sometimes yeah. your rank can okay, that, that's kind of a perfect thing for this podcast too, for being underestimated. Like yeah. sometimes your rank and what your experience says about your skill set doesn't say the whole story. So I think that makes yeah. sense. All right. You know, Have you ever as underestimated someone? I can't think of like any general, but I would say that personally, I think like one of my bigger faults is probably judging people too quickly. And that's not necessarily like taking action on that or like not giving someone a chance or like anything like physical or anything like that, but more like in my head is that I'll have, and everybody does it. I'll have a preconceived notion of someone as soon as you meet them, depending like based on what they look like, what, what they say, first impressions. Um, I mean, first, first impressions can be lasting impressions. We all know that saying, but what I found is whatever my preconceived notion is, generally that person will prove me wrong. And I think it's just a character, character trait that a lot of people have and can be easily fixed. And so you, you can have that and everyone has it bias and right. just be aware of that. And then if you approach everyone you meet with, kind of give them an open slate, like, okay, whatever, that was my first impression, you know, you're still going to put that in the back of your head, but it, the world can be a lot more interesting if you're more open and put yourself in uncomfortable positions, even with people you don't think you'd ever talk to. People are going to surprise you if you give them a chance. I, I think you're, you hit the nail on the head as the saying goes. Um, <laughs> I think we all are very guilty of underestimating people in general. And I think it's fun whenever somebody surprises you. It can't yeah. be fun. <laughs> For sure. That's one of the cool things about the army is um, I know a lot of people say like, oh, I don't see gender. I don't see race in the army. I don't know. Well, I don't know if anybody outside the army has heard that, but that's something like, oh, we all bleed green in the army or mm-hmm. whatever kind of cheesy thing. But it really goes down to how well you can do your job. And if you're how well you can, I mean, we, we have a whole battle buddy term or just being a good friend and Really, there's people that, like I would say, like that you've met have been on teams that probably, if they met in the real world, probably wouldn't even give each other a second, a second look. But then you'll go deploy with these people that you're like, I would, you wouldn't even meet them any other way. And then you deploy with them, and like, there's some people that I'm like, wow, if I went to high school with you, I probably would never talk to you. Here we are, like, sharing a beer now. Now we're like best friends. It opens up a lot of doors when you put yourself in situations that allow you to be surrounded with people from different walks of life. All right. So one of my favorite things at the end of every episode is to brainstorm with my guest on my, my book series is called Ruthie, the adventures of Ruthie and Chloe, Chloe, the dog. <laughs> and Ruthie's just a, a six to eight year old little girl. I named her Ruthie because I'm a big fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So little Ruthie and they just go on crazy adventures that they learn some kind of fun lesson on at some point. And the sky's the limit with these adventures. I find that actually what I'm brainstorming a lot with my guests is that I stay very realistic with it, with the story, but then I go and work on it and then I just go, okay, this octopus talks and apparently, I don't know. Why not? (laughs) Right. And it makes it more fun and entertaining, right? Yeah. I'd like to brainstorm with you. And if you have any ideas, please jump in. If you did any sports or had any passions as a kid that you think relates well to an adventure Ruthie's going to go on, please jump in. 
um, on Ruthie's adventure that's going to embody you, um, that has that life lesson of not being afraid to make those big decisions. Okay, so on the tip of my tongue, or I guess the idea that comes, and this is probably because thinking of my own experiences of, I grew up with a bunch of brothers, and I think that uh, relates well to you being a badass in the army. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also a runner, so I find Ruthie running a lot just because she just sometimes embodies some of my own <laughs> hobbies. <laughs> You know, you write about what you know, so, yeah. which is also why I interview people because I want to get other stories out there. But maybe she's, and I'd love to spit this out and then you tweak it for me to something that relates better to you. But uh, maybe is. she's like racing a bunch of her, you know, the guys down that she grew up with. You know, she hangs up with, hangs out with guys all the time. And, um, you know, before the race, they're all like, no, you can't beat me or you're just a girl or teasing her in some way. And then um, she wins the race, beating against them or running against them. But that doesn't really embody a big. It does remind me. So during the um, the qualification course, every week we'd have like a ruck and or like a run. So we'd have like different events early in the morning, and we'd do the five mile run. And almost it's happened on the rucks too sometimes, almost every time. And I'm not the only like there was definitely a female about the same size as me that kick my ass every time she's awesome sprint. yeah she would she's oh, five out miles is not a sprint <laughs> Never mind. i bless you if you can sprint five miles <laughs> but she i mean she would be so i'm sure she had this too like if you talk to her she probably had very very similar experience but when i was running i'm so i'm a long distance runner and i can just i can't run very fast like sprint but i can just run forever at like a steady speed so i'll just keep running my speed and like every time you I don't know if you ever run like a 5k or like mm-hmm. with like anybody can run. And then you have those people that just like take off mm-hmm. like and then they're winded you're like, halfway through. Yeah. Good luck, buddy. Like you're not going to maintain that speed. So you did, like that huge thing. People would just do that. Mostly guys. So they'd go take off sprinting and then I'd slowly start passing them. And every time, not all of them, really. I mean, I was usually like front middle of the pack, um, but they would just eat pass them. And they'd just be like, oh, hell no. And, like, they'd start, like, trying to sprint faster. And then it's hilarious because then you have, like, I feel like, like the Mighty Ducks, you know, like the, the Flying V with, like, dudes just, like, dying next to you. And you're like, just, it's fine. Don't don't die. Like, it's just a five-mile. Like, it's not the end. You're, you're going to pass. You're fine. Yeah. But, like, they just couldn't in the back of their head, like, wow, this person is half my height and just went past, just past me. And then... Like that they, is my favorite story ever. <laughs> and I'm like, it's okay. Don't, don't die because like, and then someone would end up past me and it's like, no big deal. We're just running. We're all in this together. It sucks. Like I like running, but it's still like I run faster because I will be done quicker from that five mile. But <laughs> I just have people are just like, no, this isn't happening. Like I'm not being passed and they just can't get their head around it. I'm like, cool. Like I, I'm really glad I'm here to motivate you. Like I, if nothing else, just I'm keep up with me. <laughs> yep. I'm just motivation here. So yeah. yeah I don't know. If John, so, ever, I know he beat me on all the runs because he's a fast one. Maybe Ruthie is, maybe there's like a, an, a cross country meet or something 
on a Saturday. In Texas, we had them on Saturdays. I don't know where the rest of the world had them. <laughs> yeah, I did cross country too. Yeah. So. Uh, maybe Ruthie is trying to decide between her big decision is do I do this cross country meet, which is really hard. I had like, I've been training. I haven't gotten my time to where I want it to be. Or do I do, I don't know, something else. Maybe we'll just have fun with it and do some stereotypes and throw in a, a girl yeah. pageant that we're like, Hey, we, we have this run or we have this meet, but, um, you're going to be the only female or something, or there's yeah. only going to be a few more females in it. And oh, I like that. Or something. You're going to be going against all of the, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all males. And then you and like a few other females. So I like that. Uh, Ruthie is having to choose between maybe it's two different track meets too, like or yeah. cross country meets. Yeah. Um, the one she always does or the, and she always does and she always gets first place and it's easy for her and she knows yeah. she'll bring home another medal if she does does it mm -hmm. um but then maybe she should challenge herself and try to do this race maybe the coach brings up to her like hey i think it's time that you try to challenge yourself a little bit more and do this race with the boys yeah. and she's giving up an automatic you know trophy or medal yeah, she knows she's gonna win. <laughs> huh you know she's gonna win the one yeah yeah, but then, yeah, maybe her friends or her guy friends want her to run with them. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, run this one. It's really fun. Or it's, we get to go somewhere and, and run it. And she doesn't want to, but then she decides, like, you know, whatever, I'll go run this. Or maybe she has another girlfriend that is like, no, we can go run this one. But then she doesn't win. She may not even, she may do better than she thought, but she doesn't really win. win. But then she meets, I don't know, maybe she meets some new people or something. I like that. I also had, I just, this is the fun, crazy part of my mind. Um, then the trees that she's running by like has personalities and they talk to her and maybe that her motivation. I just thought of wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to think of like crazy things that would be different that can engage, you know, a very young active mind that is hard to keep on a page. <laughs> oh yeah. Hmm. So, Lots of bright colors, lots of weird things that you don't see in real life are some of the things that I try to come up with. Talking trees seems pretty weird and can be pretty colorful. Yeah. Uh, well, Lily, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Absolutely. Do you have anything you would like to tell John? You can tell him he's a butthead. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening to another episode of Underestimated Stories for Women. If you enjoy my podcast, please follow me on iTunes, Spotify, or Clip so you can hear my next story. This podcast is sponsored by Clips. Discover podcast highlights of your favorite shows at www.clip.ps.